Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. You can check out my weekly fantasy rankings at thefootballgirl.com. They're always available bright and early on Tuesday morning to help you start a new week of fantasy football. And my friends, we are really getting close to the home stretch in the fantasy season, just a few more weeks to jockey for playoff position, and maybe you are fighting for your very survival. These are critical weeks ahead of us, and hopefully your team is poised to make a good stretch run. And hey, I realize that some of you are already underwater in the weeds and are not going to make the playoffs. Hopefully you've got multiple teams and still have at least one in contention, but I realize that some of you have just one or two teams and maybe they're both out of the running or about to be. So before you check out on fantasy football entirely for 2019, I just want to mention that Fits on Fantasy is a year-round show. And as we get closer to the end of the season and more teams start falling by the wayside, there's going to be more talk about the 2020 season worked into every show and starting in January we will turn our full attention entirely to 2020 and let me tell you we are going to have a lot of fun with that because we're going to spend some time talking about what I believe to be the best draft for fantasy talent we've ever seen NFL draft that is Seriously, I know that sounds like hyperbole, but the 2020 draft class is absolutely stacked at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. So hey, even if 2019 has not entirely worked out for you, I hope you will keep listening to the show because there is going to be something for even the wayward souls who got lost on their way to the fantasy playoffs this year. In fact, there is going to be a little bit of... 2020 draft talk with today's guest, Danny Kelly of The Ringer. Danny writes about fantasy football for The Ringer and also co-hosts the Danacy Football Podcast, but he writes about the NFL draft too, and we are going to spend a few minutes on that today. You can find Danny on Twitter at Danny B. Kelly. But before we get to Danny, I have to ask you, did you survive the week 11 bipocalypse? Man, these 16 bye weeks are just so oppressive. And now we have another 14 bye week ahead in week 11. Fortunately, there were not too many major injuries in week 10. Uh, Saquon Barkley is banged up. That's a little worrisome, especially with the Giants sitting on two wins and having no real incentive to keep playing Saquon if he's battling injuries. Uh, Devonta Freeman has a foot injury that could keep him out a while. Edo Smith is already on IR for the Falcons. So that's going to make Brian Hill a real popular waiver pick this week. Uh, I would imagine that some of the people sitting on a lot of fab money are going to be going all in with what's left to try to get Hill since he may have just fallen into a workhorse role for a halfway decent Falcons offense. And, Speaking of the Falcons, Austin Hooper is reportedly going to be out a while with a knee injury. Goodness gracious, as if tight end wasn't a thin enough position to begin with. Suddenly we're losing some of the few top-end performers there. Austin Hooper, George Kittle, Evan Engram. Uh, that, by the way, is another thing we're going to spend some time talking about on the off-season shows. Tight end strategy. I don't know if I can ever take a tight end in the first five or six rounds of a draft again. It's just heartache, man. Maybe one of these years, all the blue chippers will come through and we'll get a year of extraordinarily good TE health. But I don't know. 
I think I'm just going to commit to bottom feeding a tight end next year. I swear, I'm just going to totally catfish the position in 2020 and let the chips fall where they may. Um, oh, hey, one quick story about the week 11 bipocalypse. And, you know, I hate to bore you guys with my own league stories, but this is one I have to tell. So I play in the uh, Chicago Media League, which includes people like Mike Tagliere from Fantasy Pros, Andy Barons and Eric Edholm from Yahoo, Michael Beller from The Athletic, a lot of Chicago-based people. And uh, in week 11, I was playing my buddy Kevin Fishbane, who I used to work with at Pro Football Weekly and who now covers the Bears for The Athletic. Uh, it's a super flex league, and both of my QBs, Tom Brady and Carson Wentz, were on by. I had drafted a third quarterback, but it was Joe Flacco. So uh, au revoir, Joe. And as of early Sunday morning, I did not have even one quarterback in a league where you can play two. And there had been no quarterbacks available last week, so I picked up Chase Daniel to start at one QB slot just on the off chance of an in-game benching for Mitch Trubisky. Um, and this was a big game for Kevin and I. We were both coming in at 6-3, and three, so the winner was going to be in good shape for the playoffs, but it looked like I was pretty much drawing dead because of the QB thing. Uh, well, Sunday morning dawns and the news breaks that Matthew Stafford is out. So I grabbed Jeff Driscoll and released Chase Daniel. And into the super flex spot, I insert Darius Slayton. Uh, obviously, two touchdowns. He goes ham. On Sunday, I'd also picked up the Baltimore defense, which scored a couple of touchdowns. I have Christian McCaffrey, who did Christian McCaffrey things. Uh, I just happened to start Michael Gallup. I actually would have started TJ Hawkinson with uh, George Kittlehurt. Um, but with Matt Stafford out, I decided not to play Hawkinson and to start Jack Doyle instead, who scored a touchdown. And somehow Jeff Driscoll actually managed to outscore both of Kevin's quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. So I was sure that I was destined to lose this game and lose it big. And I think I was like a uh, 25 or 30 point underdog based on the Yahoo projections. But somehow I ended up winning it by like 60 points. I'm telling you guys, fantasy football is a hell of a game. Just when you think you've seen it all. All right. Anyway, it is time to bring in our guest. Let's go talk to Mr. Danny Kelly of The Rift. Joining me now is this week's guest, Danny Kelly. He writes about the NFL fantasy football and the NFL draft for The Ringer and does so very artfully, I might add. He also <laughs> co-hosts the Dantasy Football Podcast, which is part of The Ringer Podcast Network. Find him on Twitter at Danny B. Kelly. Danny, great to have you here and thanks for coming on. Absolutely. I really appreciate the invite. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. My pleasure. Before we start, I should probably uh, just give people a note about the timing on this. Uh, I want to <laughs> note that Danny and I are having this conversation just a few hours before the big Monday night tilt between the Seahawks and the 49ers. And uh, it's kind of a big one for Danny, who just happens to be a Seahawks fan. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a little nerve wracking. It's kind of fun and a little bit nostalgic to be getting back into this uh, 49ers rivalry with, you know, the Seahawks and 49ers had, I think, one of the best rivalries in the NFL for a couple of years. And early 2010s and so to uh, have it be sort of reignited now is a lot of fun but also can I get those butterflies before the game now I can imagine man I mean this is going to be a good one um yeah we should probably skirt around some of the specific fantasy topics since uh you know we haven't stepped into the, the time machine yet and don't know what happened right who if anyone got hurt etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh Danny I do need to know more about the origin of your Seahawks fandom. Is this a, a lifelong love affair? <laughs> Are you from the, the area originally? Uh, I'm from the area and I remember going to games when I was young, um, but I wouldn't say I've been necessarily a lifelong fan. I kind of did jump on the bandwagon in 2005 when the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl. Um, and from there just have steadily grown in, in NFL fandom. And so I, I 
started writing about the Seahawks in 2011, I believe, like the second year of Pete Carroll's tenure. And from there, it's that's been obviously when I got like hardcore into the Seahawks. So um, I guess it's a bit of a bandwagon approach, but um, yeah, it, it's been fun. Well, I mean, probably during your childhood, you're what, a, a kid of the 90s? They, they were not exactly, uh, that wasn't a high point of Seattle I, Seahawks football, was it? No, it was not. I, I'm a kid <laughs> of the 80s. I was a big Hoops fan. I was a big Sonics fan growing up. And so I didn't pay a huge amount of attention to the NFL until I was in college, really. And so, um, yeah, I was just, I was a hardcore Sonics fan for a long time and then sort of, you know, obviously Seattle lost Sonics and then my my interest kind of went to the NFL and then gradually became like hardcore interest. Yeah, they the NBA has to make that right eventually and put a team back in Seattle because that was a great NBA town. Um, I think they will eventually. I mean, obviously it's a slow process, but like you said, it, it is a great NBA town. I think there's a ton of passion for the NBA still here and um, hopefully it happens at some point soon because... Um, yeah, I think there's still a, a really strong like thirst for the NF, for the NBA here. I agree, man. And it's just it's too big league a town, and it just seems like the Pacific Northwest is such a hotbed of basketball, man. I mean, like it does so well in Portland, oh, yeah. and you know the it was never fan support that you know took the Sonics out of Seattle. So it just seems like the NBA has got to make that right. Speaking of that, I got to plug the Ringer. Uh, they they have a multi multi part podcast on how the Sonics got kind of stolen from uh, from Seattle. So go check that out on the Ringers uh, podcast network. Yeah, man. Um, I haven't listened to it yet, but I've heard that it's amazing. It seems like with the Seahawks, like they've been, I don't know, roughly since the turn of the millennium, they've been relevant and good. Uh, I think they've only had like three or four losing seasons since 2003, and one of those was actually the year of the now legendary Marshawn Lynch beastquake run and the wildcard victory over the Saints. So Seahawks fans and Packers fans, such as myself, have a lot in common in that we've both, I don't know, I guess been pretty spoiled for the last couple of decades. For sure, yeah. But on the other hand, boy, Danny, I'm really conflicted about the Seahawks. Uh, Yeah, on (laughs) one hand, they've been responsible for some really dark days for Packers fans. The (laughs) infamous fail Mary ending with the uh, disputed Golden Tate touchdown catch that basically ended the NFL officials lockout in 2012. And then, of course, the 2015 NFC Championship game, which is pretty much going to haunt me and other Packers fans to our graves. But uh, if it makes you feel any better, the Super Bowl will haunt me and all Seahawks fans to to our graves as well. Yeah, that is exactly (laughs) the equivalent for you guys that, uh, you know, you could play that replay that interception at the goal line just the same way we replay the onside <laughs> kick in our head over yeah. and over again. Um, but I am a, a Wisconsin grad, Danny, even though Russell Wilson was only in Madison for one year, it was yeah. a hell of a year. And I love the guy almost as much as I love my own children. So I can only imagine <laughs> how you feel about him. <laughs> Man, he is, I mean, he's having, I, I would say his best season of his career this year he's like really really come into his own I mean he's been an elite passer in my mind for for many years now and he's always been a little bit underrated um but it's cool to see him kind of finally getting his recognition he's in the MVP race right now obviously you know this is before the the 49ers game so we don't know exactly what's going to happen and the Seahawks have I think what is the hardest closing schedule of any team in the NFL to finish out the season so Wilson's MVP campaign could probably or has a good chance of fizzling out a little bit, uh, you know, as they go down the stretch. But um, it's been really cool to see him get the recognition. I think that everyone in Seattle has given him as a elite passer, really, really dynamic player who's who's essentially carried the Seahawks offense for the last few years. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Now, tell me this: not only are you a Seahawks fan and a Russell Wilson admirer, but you are also a man who earns a living analyzing the NFL. So, how do you feel about? Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer's <laughs> devotion to the running game when they have this demigod as their quarterback, or, or do you, I don't know, do you at all think that like the, the run heaviness adds to his game by making him more efficient or is it just stupid that they're running to this degree? I don't. So like in principle, I don't have anything necessarily against being balanced on offense. And I think 
having, you know, the ability to run the football can definitely make things easier on your quarterback. And, and, you know, there's a lot of benefits, I think, to the run game. But overall, um, I would say that when your run game is not very good, which has pretty much been the case for the Seahawks all year, they still run the ball a ton, but they are not especially efficient. Um, and they still have been sticking with it, you know, doggedly at times. Um, that's when it gets really frustrating. Now, I will say this year they've passed a little bit more on first down and done some things that I think Seahawks fans have been pining for for the last couple of years in sense of attacking downfield, being more aggressive in certain situations and all that. They've, they're, they're still pretty much cowards when it comes to uh, going for it on fourth down, but I think there are some you know marginal improvements with the way that they game plan and get Russell Wilson more involved. I think the whole the, like Seahawks fans... Their motto, I guess, this year is just let Russ cook, which has been building for a really, really long time. Um, and it, it's become readily apparent that Wilson is carrying this team because their defense is terrible. Their run game is not efficient. Their special teams are awful. And the Seahawks are, what, 7-2? and two? So, well, going into tonight, they're 7-2. and two. So I think Wilson is absolutely the reason, you know, they've done so well this year. And, um, you know, I think that there's been small marginal improvements in the way that they let Wilson cook, but I still think that they're not doing it to the level that they really should be. And, and it's holding them back. So Seahawks fans have this very, very difficult, I guess, um, like, I, I don't know what, like it, it's cognitive dissonance or something because people, a lot of people are, are mad about Pete Carroll, despite the fact that he is undoubtedly you know a good thing for the franchise like he's he's built the franchise into a yearly you know perennial uh you know playoff contender they're very very good on Pete Carroll his big picture philosophies and everything that goes into building a roster are all very good he's made the Seahawks very good but at the same time like his in-game decision making his his, the way that they treat Russell Wilson and and they hold his hand and, and you know take away some of like his you know, talent and absolute playmaking ability is super frustrating. So bottom line is it's kind of like you're thankful for Pete Carroll, but at the same time, it could be so much better. So it's it's definitely a very weird sort of mindset, I think, for a lot of Seahawks fans. Yeah, with the whole Wilson let him cook thing is like the Josh Gordon signing. Is that, you know, all right, we're giving you the, the mise en place you need to uh, make this happen. Like, I mean, <laughs> obviously. I hope so. Yeah, you know, everyone's joking about the uh, the – dual Spider-Man meme with uh, DK Metcalf and Josh Gordon. But it's like, <laughs> how do yeah. you think, how do you think it might work from a fantasy perspective? Like once, I know it seems like, and, and again, we can't know this, uh, you know, hours before the game here, but maybe right, right. Gordon's role is pretty limited against the 49ers, but going forward, what do you think it might look like with uh, his contribution? That's yeah, that's tough. And I, I'm kind of going into it with low expectations and hoping, you know, I'm surprised, pleasantly surprised by what happens. But um, I would say, you know, I, I, Tyler Lockett, and DK Metcalf are clearly the team's number one and number two. Um, Lockett has been running a lot from the slot and been really, really effective from the slot this season, um, pretty much his whole career, really. And um, obviously getting DK Metcalf kind of going on the outside has been really big for them. But Opposite Metcalf, they've had kind of a rotating cast of characters, um, David Moore and um, Malik Turner, a bunch of random dudes that are just haven't really shown out this season and hasn't haven't been very effective. And so adding a guy like Gordon, who can also you know take the top off the defense, kind of in a similar way that DK Metcalf can, I think that just gives them another option in the passing game, another you know go to guy when they have coverages tilting towards either Lockett or Metcalf, and so. Um, I just think it, it's, I don't expect huge things from Gordon. I don't expect big, huge numbers and necessarily being fantasy relevant too much, but, um, I do think it'll give them in real football, like another go-to guy in clutch situations. And that, that'll be really good for Russell Wilson because he's just so accurate down the field. He can put the ball exactly where he wants it. I think like Metcalf, who, you know, was pretty like mocked at times coming into the season as like, you know, just slow and, or, or, Straight line fast, and that's it. Um, I think like DK, Gordon has a perfect skill set for what the Seahawks want to do in terms of getting deep, you know, just taking the top off a of defense, um, not asking him necessarily to do a whole lot other than that. And that could be a really good sort of role for him. 
Yeah, it seems like his skill set could pair pretty well with Wilson and like Russell's just unbelievable ability to buy time. And, you know, although he is uh, known for like the pinpoint accuracy, if he has to make these throws under duress where he's like on the run, but yet buying uh, Metcalf and Gordon more time to get open. I mean, these dudes with their frames, he does not need to to fit it into a super right. tight window, just right. put it up in the air and these guys can go and get it. So uh, yeah, that could be a lot of fun to watch down the stretch. Yep. Yep. All right, Danny, let's get into some more general fantasy stuff. We just had a six team bye week and now we have a four week uh, four team bye week that includes, Oh, I don't know, two pretty lucrative sources of fantasy points with the teams. We've just been talking about the Seahawks and the Packers. Uh, well, first of all, for you personally, how did you handle the 16 bye week? Did it wreak havoc with your lineups or did you have the, the depth to withstand it in most of your leagues? Uh, I, it was a little hit and miss. Um, I will say one guy that I streamed this week that had some success. I had him in a couple different teams with Jack Doyle. Got lucky, had, had a touchdown um, for him. So that was nice. I would say a couple other things that I tried definitely didn't work out as well. I, I uh, had Josh Reynolds in a lineup. I had Ty Johnson in a lineup, Amendola in a lineup. Those, you know, weren't total busts, but they didn't really work out that great. I had Daryl Henderson in, a, in one lineup that obviously didn't work out and uh, Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scantling in another. So he got a goose egg. And so it was a little bit rough here and there, but um, managed to survive. I think this week with the four teams, there's a few more good streaming options, particularly at tight end. So I'm, I'm a little less worried about next week than I was about last week. Last week was tough. Yeah, and more people are going to have to stream tight ends with the Austin Hooper injury, and who knows if we're going to get Engram and uh, Kittle back next week. Um, yeah, it's it's right. going to yeah. be super tough. So, uh, yeah, I actually had Doyle in a lineup too where I was planning to start Hawkinson until Stafford was declared out, and uh, I kind of fell ass <laughs> oh, yeah, that sucked. The, to Doyle there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, the good news is there's a few guys that seem to be trending in the right direction at tight end, particularly uh, Jack Doyle. I, he's he's still 52% on, so that's higher end, I guess, for streaming. But if he's still out there, you can definitely plug him in. Darren Fells, uh, going up against Baltimore, has he's been a little bit of a, a touchdown or bust, but he has scored a lot of touchdowns this year. He has six touchdowns, so he's, a, he's definitely an option. It seems to have some chemistry with uh, Sean Watson. O.J. Howard finally hit. So I don't know if that necessarily means he's back or, you know, going to do anything because going up against the Cardinals, that that team always gives up big points to tight ends. But the the usage for him was really strong. Um, he ran around on 85% of the, the drop back. So that's definitely a big boost. And then uh, another guy that's been really interesting the last few weeks, Kyle Rudolph. He's had actually four touchdowns in the last four games and starting to uh, – pick up steam a little bit. So he's another option. I think if you're desperate at tight end, you can stream him as well. Yeah, especially if Thielen is out another week, which would probably be the case with a, an aggravated hamstring injury. Um, yeah, the Texans tight ends, that's got to be one of the stranger developments of the season. <laughs> we thought, you know, that, yeah, that Fuller and Hopkins and maybe Kuti or Stills could still all eat in this offense just because, you know, the tight ends weren't involved at all. And not only are we getting like a fantasy relevant tight end from the Texans, like there are two of them, which is completely <laughs> right. unexpected. Um, I was really, I was really excited about Jordan Thomas prior to the season. I was like one of his hype guys during the off season. And then he ended up going on an injured reserve like a week before the season. So I was like, really, I was like bummed out. Um, but then. Yeah. His, his athletic profile is always really intriguing. Yeah. Like he, Seems like he could come through one of these years. Yeah, for Dynasty, I've, I've got him a few Dynasty leagues, and so I'm kind of ho- holding out hope that he takes over the Darren Fells role. Obviously, Fells has kind of emerged as what I imagined Thomas was going to be. So on one hand, it was disappointing, but on the other hand, it was actually kind of intriguing and exciting to see what you know could happen down the line. But yeah, I think Fells is um, you know an interesting streaming option going forward. You know, he he seems to have the trust of Watson in the red zone, so that's big. Which is just so bizarre because he always, I always figured he was just a blocking tight end. And I was <laughs> right. this guy was never even going to run routes. So, what was the point? Yeah, are you super heavily invested? Do you divorce yourself from the Seahawks <laughs> for fantasy football when it comes to drafting? Or are you kind of heavily invested in them? I have 
like zero Seahawks shares, I think, this year. I don't know if I have a Seahawks player. I've got a few I've got a few David Morris in my dynasty leagues, which is not looking super strong going forward. Um but yeah, I've kinda of, I, I think I do the thing where it's like uh, you know, I wanna diversify my portfolio a little bit and I don't want to be disappointed the Seahawks lose and have them screw me in fantasy football. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that I'd basically sense. avoid them. Although I will say I touted uh, Chris Carson all off season and that's been like he's he's uh I think paid off for a lot of people that took a chance on him even though he has had a lot of fumbles but he's been he's been pretty good I, I was excited about what Tyler Lockett could do so you know there's definitely a few Seahawks you know fantasy players that I think I was really high on prior to the year but uh, I basically st- stayed away from all of them yeah and that Carson thing I mean that was an important thing because I know I was kind of in the camp where I wasn't sure like if if Rashad Penny was maybe going to get some run at some point during the season just on merits, you know, not even on uh, necessarily like a Carson injury or a fumbling problem or anything like that. Um, so I kind of did not get any Carson shares just because I was a little bit too skittish. And, uh, you know, anyone who dove in head first there has been pretty handsomely rewarded. Yeah, he was he was definitely on a lot of people's. I think a lot of people are fading him just because they thought Penny was going to take over. Um, I remember hearing people just think that Carson, you know, wasn't all that dynamic, couldn't have breakaway speed, which is true. He doesn't have breakaway speed, but he just breaks so many tackles and it's so physical um, that Pete Carroll is like truly in love with him. He, he, I mean, it's like, I think Chris Carson is uh, Pete Carroll's favorite player in the world right now. And so the fumbles are obviously a big deal, but they've stuck with him and kept it going. And, and he kind of, I think is the, he brings the Marshawn Lynch intensity and physicality that that Pete Carroll believes in strongly, and so I think that's why he's he's the guy. It also doesn't hurt that Penny hasn't really shown a whole lot to uh, to push Carson for the job. To be honest, yeah, and Carson does just have so much Marshawn Lynch in his game. He's like methadone for Seahawks fans getting over the Marshawn Lynch high, like yeah. helping them. <laughs> that's a good, yeah that's definitely a good uh comp he, yeah he's just he's not marshawn lynch but he brings the same mentality of just like trying to run through a a mofo's face as as marshawn lynch would put it <laughs> um i want to bring up some qb topics with you danny and uh to start with let's get well ahead of ourselves with a little 2020 draft talk yeah you did a, a really interesting <clears throat> piece for the ringer last week where you ranked the top quarterback prospects and this came out a few days ahead of the LSU Alabama game mm-hmm. and you had Tua Tagovailoa ranked number one and I'm certainly not bringing this up as some sort of gotcha thing because <laughs> I myself would have had Tua ranked number one a week ago but let me ask is Joe Burrow of LSU still number two for you after what he did against Alabama I mean Tua, <laughs> Tua was pretty terrific himself in that game and yeah. he was getting it out on a high ankle sprain <clears throat> but um I don't know do you do you think do you see it as neck and neck? And do you think NFL teams are going to see it as neck and neck? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's going to be one of those uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder type things. And, um, you know, some teams will probably have Burrow as the clear number one and some teams will have Tua as the clear number one. I, I kind of came out of that game being just really, really impressed with both of them. Um, I think Burrow probably made up some ground on what I thought was the gap between the two of them. Just he was just so so efficient, poised, confident. You know, just everything you heard about him coming into the game, he really really showed that in a really really tough situation. You know, in Tuscaloosa and, and against a great great team, and he was just you know unflappable, really accurate, really dynamic as a runner. Um, you know, he kind of looks like like he's he reminds me of a very accurate and and good decision making Josh Allen. The way that he can run around and um, make plays with his feet and, and he's like got some wiggle too. Um, you know, he's not just like a straight line runner, which I think Daniel Jones is kind of like a straight line runner. He can really, you know, run away from defense if you give him some green. Um, but Burrow had a little bit of wiggle. He was making guys miss, you know, he's kind of juking some people and, and picking up yards. And so, um, I think he definitely, it's, it's kind of like a one, a one B situation. I'm still really high on Tua. I think he looked really good at time. You know, there's a couple bad decisions in there. There's a lot of drops too. And, you know, if a couple of guys catch, you know, big passes, it might be a different story in this game. And I think, you know, uh, Judy, I think had a one drop that was like in the end zone. That would have been a huge, huge play. And, um, 
but I think he still really impressed me. Like he said, he, he was, you know, coming off an ankle injury, coming off ankle surgery. Um, I think it was like 20 days before the game. And so obviously there's that factor. And overall, you know, I, I thought Tua did a really good job. I thought Burrow was amazing. And um, I, I would say they're 1A and 1B and, and clearly the the cream of the crop in, in terms of the, the draft. And I'm really excited to kind of see where they land for fantasy purposes too, because obviously with rookie drafts and dynasty leagues coming up this year, um, you know, they're going to be two big, big names. And I kind of came away with it like way higher on Burrow's fantasy value just because of the running thing. Like, he could legitimately be a running quarterback too. You know, not like not like they're going to run like read option with him and stuff, but he, like Josh Allen style where he's just picking up tons of yards as a scrambler. Um, he had he showed a lot of dynamic ability for that. So um, kind of reminds me of, of Josh Allen, but way better decision-making and way more accuracy. So that's exciting. Yeah, that really did stand out on Saturday, just his ability to keep the chains moving and uh, like, in some pretty critical times too. I'm sure Tide fans were just pulling their hair out over that and not being able to wrap him up and get him down. Um, yeah, some of the other guys you listed at the top of the um, your QB prospects were Jake Fromm of Georgia, Justin Herbert of Oregon, no surprises there, uh, Jordan Love of Utah State, Jacob Eason of Washington, and then a guy I want to ask you about, Jalen Hurts of Oklahoma. So Hertz was the guy who Tua basically forced out at Alabama. And uh, so Hertz transfers to Oklahoma and now just really thriving for the Sooners, putting up numbers that rival those of Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield during their time in Norman. And uh, you wrote that Hertz is going to be a Rorschach test for NFL teams because it might be tough to separate the player from the scheme. Right. So what's, yeah, what's your gut feeling on this? Do you think Hertz is going to be starting for an NFL team two years from now, or do you think he's going to be sort of a developmental, uh, you know, maybe he can start, maybe he's just sort of, uh, I don't know, almost at the, the level that Kirk Cousins was seen at when the Redskins took him behind. Yeah. Oh, man, it's so tough. I, I Like, I tend to be an optimist for what he can do in the NFL, I think, you know, with his, he's shown like he can throw with a lot of accuracy this year. He's he's got a, um, you know, he's got a dynamic skill set in the sense that he can be. He's not. He's definitely not. You know, super twitchy as a runner, but he's tough with like a good frame. I think he could be another kind of guy that can do some things in the run game and and for the right team. If a, if a team wants to build around his skill set, I think he has the ability to uh, you know develop into a dual threat type of quarterback. Um, it just kind of depends, honestly, of where he lands. I, I'd like him. I personally am optimistic that he'll be starting down the line. Um, I just I like him a lot as a player. Um, but I'm not 100% sure what the NFL is going to feel about that. So um, it's kind of one of those things where, I, for me, I'm really, really still very, very early in the process of kind of looking at all these guys and figuring everything out. Um, sure, sure. But that, that was my sort of first impression just watching – um, you know, four or five games from this year, a couple of games from last year and, and coming away with that. That's just kind of what I came away with this year. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about like what he could do in the NFL, especially just, I just think the NFL is changing um, the way that they look at, you know, how, how quarterbacks can be deployed and how quarterbacks can run the offense and things like that. It just kind of depends where he lands. Yeah. And he's like, he's definitely a better passer than I gave him credit for when he was playing for right. Alabama. Like, and we've seen that this year, which is, you know, I would not have thought him a, a legitimate NFL prospect a couple of years ago. And now like, yes, I'm, I'm totally buying that someone is going to take a chance on him if they sort of miss out in the uh, musical chairs game with these top guys. I think they absolutely should. I mean, to me, accuracy is such an important trait and he shows accuracy. He can, he can put the ball like right on a guy. And, you know, obviously there's, there's, I don't know if he's got like the strongest, he's not like a, he doesn't have like a cannon or anything like that, but I don't know. I just, I, I liked what I saw and, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy I think that a lot of like his teammates rally around him and all that. So there's definitely the intangibles there too. You know where I'd love to see him go to the chargers because I think Philip Rivers probably has like one more year as a starter in him or, you know, mm, that would be sweet. Maybe. And uh, yeah. And then like even in game, they could bring in Hertz as a change of pace guy, or if they wanted to throw out a different look for a series or something like that. Um, so yeah, like Rivers was pretty terrible last Thursday night against the Raiders. Do you think it's the <laughs> beginning of the end or do you think, you know, that's just sort of an overreaction after he had kind of carved up green Bay the week before? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm probably like one of the biggest uh, Philip Rivers fans <laughs> out there. Um, but there's definitely times, you know, at the same time when he just is like playing just hero ball. He looks like Jameis Winston just hucking the like hucking right. passes into double coverage. Like that two minute drill was atrocious. Um, you know, I think he went over seven or something on that two minute drill, just hucking the ball downfield. Um, so I don't know. There's it's just weird. He gets into these. It's like he goes into a fugue state and, and loses consciousness and just starts chucking the ball into coverage. Um, but there's other times where he's like literally so impressive, like the best muddied pocket quarterback in the NFL. Like he's making magic from the pocket and all this stuff. So it's like, I, I'm very much, you know, of two minds with, with rivers. Um, it does start to feel like maybe <clears throat> the end is coming for him a little bit sooner than I thought. Um, but yeah, it, it felt a little bit like an anomaly. Um, we'll see how it kind of goes, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was discouraging and and kind of makes you think like the end is in sight. But at the same time, I love the dude, and and hopefully that it, hopefully it's just an outlier performance. But he does have a lot he does have a lot of turnovers this year. Maybe it's just that unconventional style. Like when it goes south, it just it looks really bad, you know. <laughs> yeah, like when he's bad, he's bad, and and that's you know that's not a good thing. Obviously, that's not good for the continuity of your team, the uh, confidence of your team. I think there's probably something to that. Why the Chargers are always kind of like the most depressing late late game antics. <laughs> it's it's been that way for so long, my God. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Cam Newton's future. Do you have a guess on whether he'll stay with the Panthers or go somewhere else? And do you think he can still be like a top ten, top twelve, kind of in the QB one range for fantasy if he gets himself right medically? I do. I I, I think. I had like three or four Cam Newton shares coming into the season. So I was definitely high on him coming into the season. It's been obviously very disappointing. The injuries were a big, big part of it. And I think they've had a, you know, build up effect over the years where he just never really got fully healthy. And his injuries to like important thing, like his back and his foot, you know, so it's it's stuff that like really affects everything about his entire game. And so um that's been a big bummer. Um I really have no idea what Carolina is going to do. I think there was a report coming out early, like on Sunday or something that said he might be done in Carolina, which is honestly pretty surprising to me that they would want to move on though. I guess they probably just pretty leery about his deteriorating, deteriorating health. And they would probably know better than anyone, you know, kind of like where he is with his health. So, um, it seems like his his future is with another team. I guess that's kind of where I'm landing. I, I, I'm kind of assuming at this point that he's going to be with a different team next year. Yeah, and I don't think there's going to be a lack of interest if he goes on the open market. Oh, I, no. I yeah. think I might have seen the same thing you did, that like maybe if it was up to Rivera and the front office, maybe they'd keep him, but like Tepper, the owner, you know, who takes kind of uh, coming from the business world, maybe sort of a more bottom line type and, and seeing right. that the recent returns haven't been you know, glowing, obviously injury related, but, uh, you know, might, might look to move on. Um, yeah, that would be interesting because I, I think a lot of people in Chicago wouldn't mind seeing him here. And, uh, you know, there are <laughs> other teams that, you know, are, are doing just well enough um, to sort of avoid the, the two uh, borough range of the draft, but are, you know, going to be the Dolphins. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. With the win streak there on all of a sudden. Um, yeah. Well, Danny, uh, so one of the great things about having you as a guest is the chance to Irish up the show a little bit more. Um, <laughs> as a fellow Irish American, let me ask you a serious question. Do you truly enjoy drinking Guinness Stout and Jameson Irish whiskey, or do you just feel obligated to drink them on occasion as an Irishman, like social pressure? <laughs> I truly enjoy both of them, to be totally honest. I love Guinness. It's probably my like go-to beer if I'm ever in a bar that's serving Guinness. Um, and Jameson, I, I I will admit, I ha I drink like the I've got a bunch of Irish whiskey at my house, and ninety five percent of the time I drink the uh, Kirkland brand Irish whiskey that's from yes, Costco, yes. Um, which is I guess like an approximation of Jameson. I. I and in, in when I go to bars, if I'm going to order like an Irish whiskey, I'll get Jameson. So, um, but at home, I drink the slightly cheaper version. Yeah. So I've got like a lot of Irish American friends who do not 
like Guinness, which I find kind of weird. Like I totally dig <laughs> yeah. Guinness, but I can't stand Jameson for some reason. It just does not agree <laughs> with my taste buds. It's like one of my least favorite whiskeys, but because I'm Irish, I'm constantly getting bottles of Jameson as gifts, <laughs> like Christmas, birthdays, yes. housewarming. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's uh kind of an interesting situation, but that's good. I'm- dude, dude, what is your preference if you're just drinking, if you're sipping like hard A or whatever? What do you mean? Like for whiskey? Yeah. Do you like scotch or do you have a favorite when it comes to all that? So like I've kind of, I haven't been in a scotch phase for a while, but I, I was kind of into the, I'd made a couple trips to Scotland. So I kind of dug the, uh, oh, cool. yeah. the real PD stuff. But like, if I'm just going to get sort of a, like a have around the house, something, you know, it'll be like doers, you know, just, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of simple when it comes to whiskey, not a real sophisticated <laughs> whiskey drinker. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I've got a very refined palate either. I just, I, I do love scotch. I'm not, the funny thing is I'm not a big fan of, uh, of bourbon. I, I just don't, I can't get into bourbon. I really like Irish whiskey and scotch, but bourbon is just, it's not my favorite. Like the sweetness of it turns you off or something like that. I don't know That's what it, Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I can't explain you know, obviously, like I said, I don't have a great palate. For for some reason, I don't like the aftertaste. They're sort of like the mouth, uh, the, the you know, the secondary flavor of of bourbon when it's when it's just kind of sitting in your mouth. So I don't know why. That's it, man. The individualistic taste buds. I'm kind of the same with Jameson, like you know, <laughs> Irish whiskey. Like I wanted to like it, but my taste buds just were not going there for whatever <laughs> reason. Um, That's fair. <laughs> all right, Danny. What's your take on the Damian Williams dynamic now after the unexpected LaShawn McCoy healthy scratch. And then right. we had Damien, you know, with a pretty good game against the Titans, except for a real costly fumble that led to uh, a touchdown directly, a fumble six. Uh, first of all, are you buying the Andy Reid story about McCoy's scratch being a case of predetermined workload management? <laughs> Not really. That That's, it, I mean, it's really strange, especially since they've got three, backs that they could in theory like just you know play three backs in this in throughout a game and, and do load management that way um so no i don't you know i don't 100 buy it. it you know he said something like mccoy is not a young man anymore which is a terror it is it doesn't sound great like it to me he just hasn't you know he, he hasn't been that impressive this season um obviously developed a fumbling problem and that's affected his playing time i I thank God I stayed away from the Kansas City rotation before the year. You know, they're very it, it was a very, very enticing thing because you want to be a part of that offense in as many ways as possible. But I just really didn't trust any of these guys. And thank God I have like zero Chiefs shares. The only I have a Darwin Thompson share that I took like in the last round of one draft and that's it. So um that obviously hasn't panned out either, but I'm just really glad I didn't sink a high draft pick into Damian Williams. Although it is probably going to pay off I think down the stretch I think he's the de facto bell cow I think now even if with that fumble he still carried the ball I think you know the vast majority of the times the rest of the game and I think it's just looking like he's probably going to be the guy down the stretch for for the Chiefs yeah maybe we get you know tail end of uh 2018 redux with Damian Williams which would be great that would be absolutely ideal for for the people that drafted him as long as they held on to him. Yeah, exactly. Right, because he was <laughs> he was droppable. Like there were people dropping Damian Williams just a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know. It seemed like for a while this backfield was just kind of underachieving on the whole. Like if, if yeah, you look sure. at what they did down the stretch last year with just Damian Williams, even if you parceled that out like to two guys, like that would be enough to make both of those guys startable. But it just didn't work out that way for a while. Then we had the Mahomes injury. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that works out down the stretch. And I yeah, don't even know if I'm telling, like, the McCoy owner to drop him entirely because what if Damian coughs up another big fumble? Then all of a sudden that could change pretty abruptly, you know? Like, even the Darwin Thompson shares might be worth <laughs> something at some point. Still holding out hope, yeah. Um, no, I, I I think, obviously, the, the health um, – you know, Patrick Mahomes all season has been a big factor to it's it's just muddied the evaluation because when when Mahomes is not in there, obviously they're not, you know, firing on all cylinders. And we saw Mahomes, he looked pretty close to back this week. And that could really open things up for the run game and, and just basically open up that whole offense. 
Um, and if they can start getting back to like peak chiefs offense, then Williams becomes like fabulously valuable. Um, but at the same time, you know, how, how healthy can we expect Mahomes to be? Can, can he be fully, fully healthy the rest of the season? Or is he going to keep aggravating that ankle? Is he going to aggravate the knee injury? Um, you know, it's just, obviously they're just not quite as crisp as they were last year. And that's, that's had a trickle down effect on the run game as well. Yeah. I hope he can stay healthy. And he was kind of moving around a little more than I thought he would be in, in the Tennessee game. Um, so let's, yeah, like the league is just so much better for having him out there. So my God, they got to keep him healthy. Um, (laughs) speaking of running backs in sort of confusing situations, uh, I really thought week 11 was going to be the official Rojo rollout in Tampa after that backfield seemed to I don't know, shift pretty decisively in, in Ronald Jones' direction in week 10, but mm-hmm. it seems like kind of a glass half full thing after yesterday. I mean, on the one hand, Jones ran for a TD <clears throat> and really boomed as a pass catcher, but he too had a costly fumble that you know almost uh, took a, a win away from the Buccaneers, and Peyton Barber wound up getting the same number of carries. So what are you thinking here about Ronald Jones? Like, is it, uh, is it his time? Do you feel good about putting him in lineups going forward? Uh, not especially. I, I, I think generally speaking, you know, I think they, the Buccaneers are always going to be more um, passing game oriented. And, and if anything, like the positive I took away from, from this is him getting, uh, what did he have? Like eight catches in the game or something like that. Yeah. Eight for um, eight, I think. That is like the most promising thing about the whole thing. I don't trust the the Buccaneers run game. I think game scripts are typically going to be not favorable for the run game. Um, and just the way that they sort of the, the aggressive nature that they, they take, I think generally speaking, it's hard to trust either of these guys in the, in the run game only. Um, but getting him involved in the passing game could definitely make a big impact down the stretch. I saw this great tweet from uh, Roto World's John Daigle today. Ronald Jones catches in high school, seven. Final year at USC, 14. Entire rookie season, seven. And then prior to week 10, eight. And then on Sunday, eight. So th- this was oh, like un- unprecedented production through the air. And I can't take that as anything but a positive and a step in the right direction. Obviously, with Ronald Jones, I don't know if anything is going to be completely linear. Um, but if he can, he's clearly to me the most talented runner on that team. But if he can also be a factor in the passing game, that is so, so huge for his fantasy value, especially PBR, obviously. Um, and, and it seemed like they made a concerted effort to get him involved. He did a good job. He's obviously, you know, coming into the year, that was a huge, huge knock on him that he was completely worthless in the passing game, like rocks for hands. And, you know, if he can develop that part of his game, that's huge going forward. And so I think I'm obviously a little bit leery to, um, I guess like hype him up, but I think that is, you can only take that as a positive going forward. Yeah, even if he could just get like, you know, two to four catches a game, that would right. enhance his value tremendously. Um, totally, totally. So in week 10, the primetime slate gave us Chargers Raiders, Vikings Cowboys, Seahawks 49ers. Uh, the primetime slate in week 11 is not as good. Uh, let's see. So <laughs> Sunday, Sunday night, we get Bears, Rams. Uh, who on either team could you start with confidence? So before this week, I would have said Cooper Cup, <laughs> but oh now, but now it's like even hard to trust that. I still would say Cooper Cup. Like you can start Cooper Cup with confidence and kind of plug him in and forget about it. Even though he did put up a zero this week, which was just unbelievable, frankly. Um, but yeah, he to me he is the most consistent, most reliable guy in that offense. Um, I don't trust Gurley. He's not involved in the passing game. Um, Clearly can't trust either Malcolm Brown or Daryl Henderson either. They've just lost two more guys on their offensive line, which can only exacerbate the problems they've been having everywhere else. I think that's just bad news for Goff, who's really, really struggled. Um, and again, it's like it doesn't seem like there's any light at the end of the tunnel in terms of them kind of figuring out what's going on because it it's, starts up front. The offense line has not been able to block in the run game or protect Goff. 
Goff is not very good under pressure, and that makes you know the reliability of these receivers like very hit or miss. And so, um, yeah, it's just kind of a huge mess right now. And going up against a good Bears defense, so that's that's tough. It really is, and the the fact that like the overall output of that passing game has declined, and yet they're actually getting Gerald Everett involved finally, which yeah. is a, a positive yeah. development. But it, like it's killing the Robert Woods value. Cooks wasn't doing anything before he got hurt. You know, we we saw Josh Reynolds do not much yesterday. But, uh, yeah, that Cooper Cup donut was definitely one of the more stunning blanks you've ever seen. Uh, Well, Danny, this has been great. Uh, I know I've got to let you run because you're a busy man, and uh, you probably also need time to start throwing back Guinness and Jameson before this big (laughs) Seahawks 49ers game. Seriously. Um, (laughs) Well, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, before I let you run, could you maybe give everyone your Twitter handle again and let them know where they can find you online? Yeah, definitely. It's Danny B. Kelly uh, on Twitter. And then um, you can obviously just find me on the ringer.com. You can find the Danacy Football Podcast on all your uh, podcasts, all, everywhere you get your podcasts. Also, I was going to say good luck in the uh, Raz Bowl because you, your team is killing it there. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, I think I lost the lead in uh, like the Austin Eckler diminished role. I think might sort of, uh, ah. yeah, that's going to take some steam out of the engine. So, um, you know, it's it's <laughs> been a pretty good start, but I don't know if I've got quite the, the finishing kick I'm going to need. But thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> All right, Danny. Yeah, man. Good luck in the game. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Sounds good. All right, boys and girls. That's the show. Thank you once again to my guest, Danny Kelly of The Ringer. Find him on Twitter at Danny B. Kelly. Check out his work at TheRinger.com. And please give a listen to the Dantasy Football Podcast, which is part of The Ringer Podcast Network. Let me also thank my producer, Calm Kelly, the finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of Ireland. Calm also co-hosts the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast along with Sean Siegel. It's a great pod that you can find on rotoviz.com, and you can find Calm on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Special thanks to my friend and colleague Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com. Find Melissa on Twitter at thefootballgirl, and be sure to check out her podcast, which is simply called The Football Girl Podcast. And Melissa also hosts the excellent Football Date Night podcast that she co-hosts along with her husband, Dave. Always a good Monday morning listen. Uh, Thank you to International Jet Set for the music. And most of all, my friends, a humble and heartfelt thanks to all of you. Would you want to punch me in the face if I said that you were the wind beneath my wings? You would? All right. I don't blame you. Uh, But suffice it to say that I am sincerely grateful to you for listening. So thank you for taking the time to stop by, and I hope you'll be here again next week when I will be joined by another great guest. All right, people, on to week 11, polish up your swords and shields and get ready for battle. Best of luck to all of you, and we will talk again next week. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.